Today's episode of Quality Control is sponsored by MailChimp, the world's leading email marketing platform. 14 million people use MailChimp to every day to connect with their customers, market their products, and grow their e-commerce business. Send better email, sell more stuff. My guest today is Allegra Frank. She's here to talk about Pokemon Sun and Moon. My name is Justin McElroy, and you're listening to Polygon's Quality Control. Welcome to the program. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me. It's been it's been a grip. Yeah. Um, so this is Pokemon S and M. I'm not on the internet a lot. <laughs> is that a popular joke? I feel like that joke kind of had its time, like when the games got announced, like that was definitely a thing. But people have sort of just moved on from that, I think. I will never give it up. It's a very good joke, and they shouldn't have done that. That was a bad <laughs> job on their part. Definitely bring um, it back, Justin. So, yeah, I'm I'm the one to do it. So l- let me ask you this just to start off with. This is such a, um, I, g- I guess, storied series would be the, the best way to describe it. Um, how do you, uh, how do you come to it? What's your, what's your sort of history with, with Pokemon up, up to this point? Uh, so the very first video game I ever owned actually was Pokemon Red. Um, which I got with a little Game Boy Color. I remember in the fall of 2000. (laughs) So that was was not too, too long ago, but that was the first game I ever had. So ever since then, I've played as many Pokemon games as I can get my hands on. So that pretty much means all of the mainline entries and a ton of the spinoffs, both the good and the bad ones. So I would say I, I know my Pokemon pretty well at this point. Um. I think one of the main criticisms that gets leveled against Pokemon and certainly one that I have leaned on previously from my um, uniquely uneducated perspective on the series is that uh, uh, there's a lot of repetition um, from from game to game. Um, How does Pokemon Sun and Moon handle that and and how much of a, a concern was that for you going in? I think for me, I definitely see the repetition and I, I too am getting a little bit tired of the formula, but at the same time, it's sort of comforting. So I don't come in like, oh man, this is just going to be another eight gyms and collecting all those stupid expanding numbers of Pokemon. So I, I don't come in to Pokemon like as frustrated by that, but I also am admittedly like getting a little bit tired. But the thing about Sun and Moon is it launched in honor of the 20th anniversary this year. So it's both sort of a nostalgic thing for longtime fans, but it's also very much trying to court newcomers. So the big thing with Sun and Moon is that it drops the gyms. There's no gyms. Um, The region is really different than the areas you would travel in in the older games. So it really does feel like a, I called it a reinvention of the Pokemon formula. Um, you, uh, you talk, and I th- think this is one of the most interesting things of all the things that you could have like let off with, um, you started talking with the, uh, uh, you started to review rather with talking about the story, um, which is not necessarily something that Pokemon has hung its hat on throughout the decades. Um, when did you realize, uh, was there a moment where you realized like, wow, I'm surprisingly engaged with, with what's going on? 
I think from the very beginning, I was actually kind of surprised by how story heavy this felt. And you're right. This is, it's strange that an RPG like Pokemon, we like everything about it, but the story, because the story, same with the formula, it's been very much the same rote kind of thing for the last 20 years. But from the opening of this game, it really does like a lot to make you feel like you're an active participant in the story this time around. So it doesn't just say like, hello, I'm a professor. I'm going to tell you what Pokemon is. And then you will tell me if you're a boy and you will tell me your name. Like it does a lot to be like, Oh, welcome to this region. What was your name again? Like it, it really sort of starts to ground you in like the importance of the story of the Alola region um, to this game. And then it's interesting to see that like the cast kind of stays the same throughout. Like you're not just meeting people one time and then never seeing them again. Like the same characters just continue to follow you as you move along this Island. So you start to actually care about them because you have relationships, which is really different, but I liked that a lot. Um, I, I wanted to go to a few, we got, we got, I would say quite a few uh, listener questions. People are still, uh, very much engaged with the, the the Pokemon franchise, and why wouldn't they be? That's not to, that's not to disparage. Um, uh, is Poke, is uh, is Pikachu in it? That's from horrible. Okay, so Pikachu is in it, but but I have yet to find a Pikachu in the wild, and I'm really really bummed. I'm still hunting around for one, but you definitely will see Pikachu in there. Uh, here's one from Katrina. What is the best piece of clothing or accessory in the trainer customization? Oof. So, okay. So I do love that there are a ton of different clothing options, but I'm not obsessed with the fashion of the Alola region. Not necessarily my personal style, but there is this one tank top that you can wear that has a, like a superimposed image of professor Oak on it, which I am very much into. Yeah. That's, that's classic. Yeah. way, Way to pay respect. Um, uh, let's see. We got one here from Charles Kelso that I cannot parse, and I'm hoping that you can. Uh, do, do Z moves being piled on top of mega forms result in the mechanics feeling like a mess? That's my biggest fear. <laughs> um, okay, so this this uh, I want to call him listener, although maybe that's presumptuous. Maybe he'll never listen. But this Twitter user is referring to mega evolutions, which were introduced in the last generation of games. Um, which is kind of like a weird, like overpowered form of uh, some Pokemon. And then in this game, uh, they, they do have mega evolutions, but instead they're focusing on Z moves, which are these items you can use with any Pokemon to unleash like a really, really, really strong attack. So I haven't gotten to the point where I have unlocked any of the mega evolutions because they're only available like at the very end of the game, like after you beat it, like really late into the post game. But the Z moves are awesome. I actually really like them because they're not super overpowered. It's just like mm-hmm. a fancy cutscene. Like it's kind of just a cute, cool cutscene that's really flashy and it has a little bit extra power. And you can only use it once per battle anyway. So I think it's actually way more fun to use those than I than the mega evolutions of the last games. How does this, uh, a lot, it's weird. I've seen as many people reference a new game coming out as reference, uh, the new setting Alola, what sort of sets it apart, uh, from, from previous venues? So in other regions like Kanto and Johto, they have these really, really like diverse climates in kind of interesting ways. Like, you know, there's a snowy place and a really hot desert place and, 
the icy place, whatever. So they kind of just felt like disparate towns that were all just connected because for the sake of the story, they had to be. Um, versus for this region, like there's only four islands. So they're re- and they're really small and they all, they feel different enough, but they also feel like they're very much of the same place in a way more, you know, realistic kind of way. Like Kanto and Johto and the older regions sort of felt like Pokemon was trying to condense the entire world into a game, but Alola feels like it's just one, you know, small country or a big state or something. Cool. Uh, I've got a ton more questions from listeners to get to, but first I want to take a quick break to tell you, uh, Allegra, I guess, and (laughs) anybody else who's listening, uh, about Casper. This is a sleep band that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating the commission-driven inflated prices of the mattress stores. It it has a award-winning sleep surface that was developed in-house. It's got a sleek design. It comes in this crazy small box that uh, is just unfathomable how they get a mattress in it. It's really a feat of, of modern engineering uh, and is worth the price of admission. Now, I know what you're saying, Justin. That's ridiculous. A mattress can cost over $1,500, but no. I say no with a Casper mattress. Uh, you're going to be paying $500 for a twin size, uh, $600 for a twin XL, $750 for full, $850 for queen, and $950 for a, a, a king. If you don't like it, that's no problem. Casper offers free delivery and free returns with a 100-night home trial. That's over three months, if math's not your strong suit. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and they'll refund you everything, and you'll get to see them stuff it back into a sad small box. No, they probably won't do that. I don't know. It doesn't matter because I've never returned a Casper mattress because that would be ludicrous. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to be spending a third of your life on it if you're lucky. I would be very happy to be sleeping eight hours a night. That would be quite a treat. Uh, I can't fathom it. The Casper is obsessively engineered. Uh, Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. They got free shipping returns to US and Canada. It's amazing. Uh, It it combines springy latex and supportive memory foam to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. You can try it for 100 nights risk-free again. Uh, now, we have a, a, a special offer here. You can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash control and using offer code control terms and conditions apply. One more time, that's casper.com slash control and use offer code control. Allegra, I have more equally unfathomable questions from listeners. This one is somewhat more fathomable. Uh, it's from David who asks, was there ever a point you didn't know what direction to go in or was it fairly linear slash straightforward? So something about these games that are really interesting is that for the first time they have a marker on the map, um, which is constantly on the bottom screen. So, you know, it's a 3DS or two screens. So like the second screen, uh, there's always a map open um, and it has a marker that like if you click it at any point, your Pokedex, which is a, an actual Pokemon this time around, and it talks to you, it will tell you where you need to go. So you will probably never get lost unless you're really trying hard to get lost. Is he named Pokedexter? Because that would be a very good name. <laughs> that would be a really good name. His name is actually just Rotom, which is uh, his like, that's the Pokemon's name. And it's like an existing Pokemon that they've repurposed for a Pokedex, which is kind of lame because Pokedexter is right there. That Pokedexter is like, it's, yeah, it, within arm's reach. <laughs> 
we had a, a lot of interest uh, about um, the the end game, which I know you touched on in the review. But um, here here's the first one from Tom Dyke. It's a little more broad, and we'll get into more specifics. Uh, Tom says, "Is the game difficult enough to keep veteran players busy, or are outside challenges like Nuzlocke needed?" So, I mean, as I said, I've been playing Pokemon for twenty years now. I guess. No, not that long. I'm not that old. Uh, I've been playing it for a really long time, 16 years. And so I I would call myself a veteran, I suppose. I did actually find this game to be pretty challenging. um, because So now there's this new mechanic called Call for Help, which makes it so if you're in a wild Pokemon battle, which generally is one-on-one, if a wild Pokemon is like in a state of duress, it can call another wild Pokemon. So then it like becomes a two-on-one battle and that can just keep on chaining. So wild Pokemon battles can turn into like really long affairs. So that's um, just like generally good for training. Um, There's also more challenging stuff like the battle royale mode which is this new like multiplayer free-for-all kind of thing which can be kind of tricky um in terms of the actual like trainer battles those are never really too hard so obviously nuzlocke is a great option for people who want some real real challenge but i found the difficulty to be like surprisingly not as easy as older games have been uh, here's one, uh, along the similar themes from Justin who asks, is there a substantial end game in sun slash moon? The recent games have been empty once beaten. So my biggest complaint was that I sort of found it to be empty afterward as well. So this game is, as I said, really story heavy and sort of like a traditional JRPG. It's like when you hit the end of the story, that's kind of the game. And there are sort of there's side missions available as soon as you finish, which can keep you busy for a while, although they kind of feel like fetch quests. And then there is the battle tree mechanic, which comes a bit later on. So that's good for people who really like battles. But in terms of things like contests and little mini games and, you know, the casino and stuff like that from other games, there really isn't much like that. So unless you really like battling or doing missions, I don't I don't really know what's going to keep you going after you beat that story. I always think it's interesting when I'm rev- reviewing a portable game because like almost by their nature portables are designed uh, like if you're grown up in the adult like obviously as a kid you have a lot more downtime where you're not in control of your own destiny. But like as a grown up I find that a lot of that time is relegated to like transit and you know doctors office waiting rooms and what have you um how how did you handle reviewing uh obviously you have to play it at a fairly steady pace um how did you handle reviewing a, a portable game in a way that made sense for you i love reviewing portable games for the explicit reason that you mentioned like i spent a lot of time commuting um or like out and about i don't have a ton of time to just like sit in front of my TV with a console game. So I tend to just play portable games more anyway, like in my life. So, you know, if I was going to the office on the train, I would whip it out for, I would whip the game out for a little bit. Um, get that, you know, get an hour in right there. But I've also just been playing it in my pajamas at home, like walking around my house, which has been (laughs) awesome. Like I've been, I've been getting some exercise in, which is rare when you're reviewing a game. Uh, here's one from Greg and, and uh, I think this is a question that anytime we have a long running franchise it's when we pop up but when we see pop up but uh, yeah, Greg asks I've been out of Pokemon for a while last time I played was gold is this a good point to get in 
I would say it is. And I will also say that gold, that's the, the best Pokemon game. So you've already, you know, hit the apex of Pokemon right there. This is this is not as good as gold, in my opinion, which is a game that has tons of post game, like you can easily put 200 hours into those games. This is not the same, but it does refine everything that's good about battling about trading. I mean, just all the modern conveniences in Sun and Moon are just amazing. And I can't imagine how awesome they would feel to someone who hasn't played since, you know, the Game Boy Color days. So I definitely would recommend this as a jumping in point for someone who liked the older Pokemon games, which just have haven't really gone around to trying anything else since then. Uh, graphically, you mentioned that how, how much of an evolution are we talking about here with Sun and Moon? I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful game. Like the graphics are so much more dynamic and there's full 3d movement. Now it's not on a grid anymore. So it just, it feels like a fuller kind of adventure um, as opposed to the very like blocky, more limited uh, older games. I mean, and also with those Z moves, the Z moves are just really, really cool to look at because they're full cutscenes. It feels like this game has, you know, way more cutscenes than any previous Pokemon game. Uh, obviously, with these games, trading and, and interacting with other players is a big deal. How did you handle that with uh, with while you were reviewing the game? So actually, yesterday, uh, our buddy Russ Frushstick and I Ugh. jumped on. Yeah, good friend. <laughs> uh, we jumped on for some quick multiplayer. We did we did some trading and we did a battle. I wiped the floor with that guy. Want that Take on that, record? Russ. I knocked him out real quick. Every single one of his Pokemon just did not stand a chance. It was wonderful. Um, so it's handled in this new thing called the Festival Plaza, which kind of houses all the online features. And I have to say, like, Nintendo, everyone knows this by now, but their online system is so archaic with the friend codes, and we kept getting all these error messages. It's it's not the most pleasant, you know, simple uh, experience, but it is still cool to just be able to, you know, hit up your friend and be like, hey, you want to just do a battle real quick? Allegra Frank, I have two final questions for you. The first one is this. Did you catch them all? And if not, why should we listen to your opinion? <laughs> I have never caught them all ever. I've never even gotten close. There's so dang many of them, Justin. I don't have time to catch 810 Pokemon or whatever. And if you have time for that, that's good. You could be a Pokemon expert then. But I, I ain't got time for that. Okay. Final question, Allegra Frank. What is the best Pokemon? Best Pokemon is Charmander. Easily. Char- okay. A little harder. What's the worst Pokemon? Oof. Worst Pokemon. Man, there's so many and there's so many bad ones. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what? I'm going to have to go with Magikarp. I'm sorry, Magikarp. Just not okay. a fan. Which Pokemon would you most like to eat? Ooh, there's that. If you could eat a Pokemon. Yeah. There is an ice cream cone Pokemon, so that's like the obvious choice. I gotta go with the, I think it's a vanillish, it's called, I think. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. No. You know, I was just thinking I have to get on board with this franchise, but you know what? I'm starting to think that maybe I'm okay <laughs> where I am currently. Uh, you know what? I think you're probably good, Justin. You're probably good. 
this episode of Quality Control has been brought to you by MailChimp. Integrate and connect your store with MailChimp in order to personalize and automate your marketing. Visit MailChimp.com to learn more. Uh, there's a ton more waiting for you at Polygon.com. You can go there uh, and, and check it all totally out. This review is there. There's a Watch Dogs 2 review. There's so much waiting for you. You just go gobble it all up. Black Friday deals are starting to come in. It's huge. Get over there. Polygon.com. But uh, until next week uh, for Allegra Frank, my name is Justin McElroy, and thank you for listening to Polygon's Quality Control. 